today's read, Midnight and the Meaning of Love by Sister Soja, Chapter 21, The Meaning. Look at the moon, Uma said to me. We were riding in the back seat of the taxi cab together, both of our windows lowered halfway. Uma was turning her face toward the window to feel the night breeze. It's hard to believe that this moon I see is the same as my Sudan moon, Uma remarked softly. How could it be so powerful and brilliant back home and so dark and dim here? We were in a notorious New York traffic jam on the FDR cars crawling from Brooklyn to Dykeman, the borderline between Manhattan and the Bronx. I thought I would rush hardworking Uma home in a taxi, but now we were in for an expensive, slow, long ride after the midnight hour. You know, son, your ticket to Japan is Saturday, May 10th, and our holy month of Ramadan will begin that same evening. I've been thinking about the meaning of that, she said. I listened to my Uma, her words overpowering my thoughts, which were jam-packed and colliding like bumper cars in my mind. How could I forget Ramadan, I asked myself. But it was not that I had forgotten it. Every Muslim knows that this is the most important time of our year. Ramadan comes annually according to the moon, so the date of the arrival of Ramadan each year is different, unlike Christmas, which for Christians and non-Christians is always December 25th. Ramadan is the month in which Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, received the revelation of the Holy Quran our book of guidance from Allah. Our Quran gives us guidance for life and sets limits and boundaries for what all believers should, should not, and must do. You know, son, when I pray, I ask Allah to make you capable and strong in the face of life's test. Your physical is solid, Uma said, turning inward and placing her palm on my chest. But it is your faith that will pull you through every time. Agreed, is all I answered. Since you are traveling, you can be excused from the fasting and make up the days when you return, Uma said softly, her eyes widening to search my soul. Every Muslim is required to fast the entire month of Ramadan. Our fast is from food and water. We take our last sip of water before sunrise, right before we see that thin thread of light that separates the night from day. Then we don't eat or drink or make love to our wives until we see the daylight devoured by the night at sunset. For 30 days in a row, we do this, using our time to thank Allah and to read the Quran, hoping to be forgiven for our past sins. The only Muslims excused from this fast are the ill and the traveling. Even those who are excused because of illness or travel are required to do serious acts of kindness and charity 
throughout the observant. I will travel, Uma, and I will fast while traveling, I assured her. Her approval was revealed as she smiled brighter than the New York moon. I knew it would please her most if I fasted. More important, I knew that was the best and right and truest thing to do. Alhamdulillah, she said, and for this, I believe Allah will make you successful in retrieving your wife, our Akimi. Inshallah, we both said at the very same time. Uma laughed some. Uma, I said, I know a girl. She is unmarried and 14 years young. Uma shifted her hips in her seat and was now facing me fully. She waited for me to continue. She has a baby, I said. Uma kissed her teeth, a sound of shame and uttered zina, an Arabic term for sex between unmarried people, which is forbidden. Her mother's brother is the baby's father, I added. Uma took some time to understand what I had just told her. So I repeated it. He ruined her, Uma said. We sat in silence for three minutes. Is she really ruined? I asked Uma, already knowing her sentiments and our culture. He ruined her and ruined himself, Uma answered. The weight of Uma's words silenced us both. For minutes, we rode up one extremely narrow lane as the second lane of the FDR was suddenly blocked, leaving all the drivers and riders alike only one way out. You're sleepy, I said, as I saw Uma's eyes become heavy. We had finally crossed Dykeman, and the lanes opened and traffic was thinning out. I am, she admitted, but it's okay. I will get to sleep late tomorrow morning. Oh, and don't worry about Naja for tomorrow. I have something special planned for her. Something special? I pushed for details. I wasn't used to Uma making plans on her own and then telling me about it after they were all set up. A mother-daughter day. I plan to take your sister out to lunch. We'll all sit down together while I explain to her the sudden changes in our lives. It's a big thing to a little girl. Naja will have to adjust to getting back and forth to school from a new location, and we still haven't told her that you are going away to Japan. So, I will tell all while she eats her favorite things, and then we'll go out shopping, Uma said, now sounding more excited than sleepy. Shopping? Where? Lunch? Where? I asked calmly. Oh, lunch is at a place that Tamira recommended. It's called Serendipities. She says her daughters really enjoy it. It's on, I know where it is, on 60th, I said. So you'll shop in that same area? Yes, and Tamira Auntie has arranged for Mr. Ghazali to pick us up when we were, when we're all three finished. He will come anytime after Juma prayer. All she has to do is give him a call. 
okay, I'll speak to Mr. Ghazali and make sure you and Naja have a cab from the Bronx apartment to Serendipities. That's the only thing missing from the plan you made. No problem. In the downstairs Bronx apartment late that same night, but in the early morning dark, Uma fell asleep on the couch instead of in her temporary new bedroom. Naja was upstairs sleeping in Sudana's house. Slowly, I was pacing the floor. My mind felt like it weighed a ton. Not one to allow my thoughts to turn into quicksand. I began moving around the apartment quietly, searching for the telephone. After a drawn-out debate with myself about whether I should call Akimi's friend and leave a message, I decided I would. But as I entered the last room of this apartment, I didn't see a telephone. I had been more concerned about the windows and doors, security and changing the locks. I missed out on the fact that there was no telephone down here. Quickly, I decided that I could buy a telephone tomorrow and run a wire and a splitter from upstairs down to here. I would definitely do that. But it wouldn't help me for making the call right now, which would have been the perfect time because Japan is 13 hours ahead of the United States in time, or at least ahead of New York. It's 2.30 in the afternoon in Tokyo, I thought to myself. What is my wife doing right now? Moments later, I began thinking about Amir and Chris. Was I messed up for not straightening them out? Was I a hypocrite for having two friends so far away from my beliefs? I must have thought so, or I wouldn't have been thinking about it. Yet, I didn't want to think about it. Those two were my only American friends. Still, a voice in my head kept telling me, if I didn't take responsibility for setting them right in their thoughts and actions, something would happen to cause me to have to break with them. I paced faster, questioning myself, or perhaps questioning Allah to ask if I was responsible for them. Can a young man ever be responsible for his friend's thoughts, ways, and actions? My mind switched again, and bangs popped up. But I shut that down. I did not want to think about anything that would lead me to a thought that might interrupt or delay my trip to my wife. I know the order of things for a man, and I know the order of things in my heart. I looked over at Uma. Simple things, like her going out shopping with some women friends concerned me. Every move she made concerned me, as if I knew that she would forever be a foreigner here in America. She was a reminder to me and everyone else in the world who ever had the pleasure of encountering her beauty, her words, her voice, and her ways, that she was right and everything else was wrong. That made her the center of attention in my mind because either way, wherever she went, all covered in thobe or hijab and niqab, she still stood out. This made me want to shield her from the world and all the twisted people who didn't deserve to see or know her. But how could I throw a blanket over the sun? And if I was troubled that she planned to shop without me there to protect her, 
How would I handle being thousands of miles away even though I plan the details out precisely to secure Uma in every way, my emotion concerning her was deep and strong, alive and active. On the table next to the couch where Uma slept was her Quran. I needed to quiet my mind, especially I needed to rest. I had Vega and my team standing on my back along with everyone else. I had to figure how to unload all this and fall into a healing sleep. I rinsed my mouth, washed my hands, face, feet, and then washed my hands again. I opened the Quran to a random page, something that I did often after the first time I read it, word for word, from the beginning to the end. I told myself whatever page I opened to first, would contain a message for me, something to guide me on my way, I landed on the surah called Al-Baqarah. My thumb held the page right at the 42nd ayat. And don't mix up truth with falsehood, nor hide the truth while you know. Immediately, I closed the Quran. For me, the Holy Quran is like this. Every word in every line is clear and easy to understand, yet it is the meaning of the words that is so heavy. When I read from the Quran, my spirit is aroused and my soul shakes. My responsibilities are reinforced and I become mindful. So, is this the answer to my question that I asked Allah concerning my friends, I asked myself. I could not be certain, but I felt it was. Of course I needed to do a better job at helping my friends to become more steady and true. I needed to separate the truth from the falsehood and set a better example through myself and not hide my way of life. I needed to convey the meaning of Islam through my living. How else would my friends learn it? I sat still for a while before opening Uma's Quran once again. This time, the book opened to the surah called Al-Nisa, which translated into English means the women. My thumb sat right at the 135th ayat. It read, All believers... Be maintainers of justice, bearers of witness for Allah, even though it be against your own selves or your parents or near relatives, whether he be rich or poor. Allah has a better right over them both. So follow not your low desires, lest you deviate. And if you distort or turn away from truth, Surely Allah is ever aware of what you do. These words re-echoed in my mind in the original Arabic language in which they were written. I stood still while these words spoke meaningfully, passionately to my soul. It was growing late and my eyes were beginning to weigh more than my heart. 
my thoughts were running their last lap. I then promised myself to open the Holy Quran only once more before resting. I landed on the surah called Al-Ma'aida. It was the 32nd ayat. My thumb covered the first sentence or two, but the words which followed after my finger were, Whoever kills a soul, unless it be for manslaughter or for mischief in the land, it is as if he had killed the whole of mankind. And whoever saves one life, it is as if he had saved the lives of all men. I knew exactly what that meant, or should I say what I believed it meant. In the past, I had read the Holy Quran many times, from the beginning to the end, every single word on every single page in search of the meaning of life. I lay on the floor, fully clothed, next to the couch where my Ummah slept, and I rested, finally. Friday, May 9th, 1986. By 3.30 on Friday afternoon, I had my American passport in my hand. My heavy heart felt some relief. I did not love the eagle, but my passport was crisp and new and valid and exactly what I now needed to become international and legitimate in the eyes of the law as a world-class traveler like my father. I walked up eight blocks from Rockefeller Center where the passport office passport office was located and over three blocks to the area where Uma said she would be shopping. It took me 20 minutes to locate her. She didn't see me. She was there with Mrs. Ghazali who bought along, who brought along her youngest daughter and Naja, who was smiling away and seemingly completely content. Like a young, young boy, I wanted to run inside and show Uma my passport, yet I didn't. I wouldn't disturb her. I was just checking to see that she was okay and was where she wanted to be, doing what she wanted to do safely. A Harlem haircut, a short trip to Dr. J's where I bought new shorts and sweats and kicks, all black, because I was on the black team. By game time, I would be on point, yet I needed a place to rest. The five hours of sleep that I had the night before wasn't carrying me. I rang the bell at Chris's house. The heavy front door of his brownstone opened slowly. What's up, man? Come in. He was surprised. I just got back from school. Come on in the kitchen. You want something to eat? He offered. Nah, I need a favor. What? Let me lay down in your room. Wake me up at 7.30 for game time. It's a straight shot from here to the court. You think you could do that? I asked him. That's easy. That's nothing, Chris said. Me and my man Phil wasn't about to do nothing but crack these books open and study for a test we got on Monday morning. Phil, this is my man Midnight. Chris introduced us. I gave the schoolboy a pound. Afterward, I followed Chris to his room and put my shopping bags down. He closed the door saying, 7.30, no doubt. I felt cool at his spot, 
No worries, just a warm family type thing. Facing a wall with a small poster titled The Ten Commandments, I began reading from the bottom up. It was something about a man not desiring his neighbor's house or woman or possessions. I agreed with that 100%, then fell into an instant, mindless sleep. Do you think this is a hotel? Reverend Christian Broadman asked me as he pushed the door open at 7.30 p.m. You owe $25 to the Broadman Corporation. You got it, Reverend, I answered, pulling into consciousness. Do I look like one of your buddies? He asked. I corrected myself. Yes, sir. I'll pay you $25 right now, Mr. Broadman. He laughed. Too controlled. Ha, ha, ha accepted my $25 and said, good luck on your game and stay out of trouble.